0: This episode is sponsored by a donor to Artists Relief. Artists Relief is a coalition of arts grantmakers who have come together to support artists during the COVID-19 crisis. The group has created an emergency initiative to offer financial and information resources to artists. These include a $5,000 grant to qualifying applicants. Visit artistrelief.org. On this episode, we have Elizabeth Markovich. Elizabeth was born in France to a lineage of musicians. Her father was a lead cellist for Leonard Bernstein when the family spent some years in the US. She migrated back to Geneva and embraced the art world for her career, holding leading posts at Sotheby's, Schroeder's Art Advisory, and Artemis Art Fund. She's been at the forefront of innovation in art, launching iStorm, the first successful online art company, and most recently with IconoTV, an art streaming platform.
1: Thank you, Elizabeth, for being on the show.
2: I'm very happy to be with you
1: your family originally is from russia and settled in uh, western france
2: we um my my family indeed were russians who did leave in fact russia uh, a couple of years before the russian revolution mm-hmm. like a lot of russian people um and um they did uh go to france they were between france and switzerland at the time in the and the in the 1915 something like this so yeah Mm -hmm. okay exactly
1: uh and that is where where you were born i was uh, born right right uh, to a a cellist father
2: to a cellist father family of musicians because i have an uncle who was quite famous as a conductor and composer and grandfather pianist and yeah I have a cousin, also conductor, so it's a whole family of uh, professional musicians.
1: Yeah, long, strong lineage. Yeah. Um, your family made the decision to migrate then to the U.S. and you started in Louisiana. Yeah,
2: that was for political reasons. They didn't agree with uh, French politics at the time. And um, at the end of the 50s, it was a bit uh, not very stable of, uh, when when it came to politics. So they decided to move to America. And um, we basically ended up in New York as my father became the first cellist of uh, the New York Philharmonic under Lenny Bernstein. Yeah, no, it's an incredible, incredible career.
1: Um, he was one of the greats, obviously. Uh, he was fantastic.
2: Uh, and he was a fantastic human being.
1: Yeah.
2: As a kid, I still remember the. It was a guy who was always happy, always, you know, laughing and everything. He was really, he was an amazing human being. Wow, well, that's fantastic.
1: Um, after a few years, your parents made the decision to migrate back to Europe. Yeah,
2: we went back to, they decided to go to Switzerland because they were looking for a, a place, center Europe. Um, so like that my father when he was touring he would not be very far from home So that's why they decided for Switzerland. Yeah, where I stayed most of my life right. until, oh. until 20 years ago.
1: Okay, right and you had a interest in in music, but um, your mother wasn't a fan of it
2: She was not a fan. She decided that um, there was enough musicians in the family and so I had to find another path Mm. Um, and, um, the logical, there were two paths for me. There was one that I was completely, um, uh, passionate about, which was everything to do with medicine. Um, and I wanted to be a surgeon, but my mm. eyes were not good enough to be a surgeon. So I had to mm. let that passion go. And so I went for arts and, um, very quickly I did, uh, find nice jobs in Paris. Um, and um, in a gallery and then from a gallery I've been uh, a friend of mine uh, uh, hired me to come and join him in Geneva to work for Sotheby's and then I took his job and so you know one after the other I did stay in um, at Sotheby's uh, almost uh, yeah I think nine years and um, where I was the head of the impressionist and modern painting department also there. And, um, and, um, which was definitely the best school you can have when you're in this business.
1: No, that's fantastic. Uh, as,
2: you, as you see so many works per day, you know, it's yeah. not like in a gallery where you work, you wait for one client and you're always uh, surrounded by the same works here. You, you see so many works coming in and makes your eye.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. And you had some uh, amazing sales that you uh, conducted while there, including the '87 um, auction in Moscow. If you could share for us, yes,
2: um, in Geneva at the time, it was also at the time where a very famous auctioneer uh, who became a very uh, famous auctioneer, but uh, who was very um, charismatic and still charismatic, is Simon de Purie. Oh sure. And Simon started to work for Sotheby's in the mid '80s, I think. So I was already there when he came on board, and became the director of Switzerland, Sotheby's Switzerland. And uh, but he based himself in Geneva. So this is how I've been working very closely with him and his team, also. Um, and that was a, a, a wonderful moment because Simon also has an amazing energy, mm. uh, very particular. And he wanted really to impose Sotheby's Geneva on the map because it was the jewelry place and it's still the jewelry place. It was also, and it's still the watch place. Simon, Simon likes shows, uh, likes um, entertainments, yeah. and, and conducts his, um, his auctions in a brilliant way. And really like a, like a movie star because he's a movie star at the end of the day. <laughs> fantastic auctions in in Geneva, like the Duchess of Windsor Mm. um, jewelry, which lasts almost a week. And then he came up with this wonderful idea to organize the first auction in Moscow. Mm. Um, And we're talking about, like you said, in 1887, and 87 um, was, you know, the wall wall in Berlin didn't come down. So we're still talking about USSR, Right. Um, but we are and during the Gorbachev time. So we're talking about Perestroika. <laughs> so things are opening up a little bit. It was an auction which was going to sell contemporary Russian artists. That's the first time we were suddenly seeing the Kabakov. Uh, being, you know, in, in in an auction. That was an amazing moment I have. I was a kind of activist mm. in there because I really <laughs> wanted to bring a lot of Russian, you know, people at, yes. in the room. Uh, knowing Conflict
1: that, about uh, the crowd, but you won.
2: There was a conflict with the crowd, <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I did won this one. Um, it was a dangerous game, but... Um, I thought it was a necessary game because to have an auction in Moscow with nobody in the rooms um, made no sense.
1: And then from there, you uh, joined a a private bank, Schroeder's, and uh, developed their art advisory business.
2: I did because I came up with this idea that um, as I was in Geneva, I knew very well the um, private banking and the private bankers in in Geneva. And... uh, I could see that they were basically all doing the same, you know, job. They all have the same service and realize that what makes the difference between two private bankers is all the bankers themselves. Meaning I trust you, uh, not because you work for such and such bank. It's because I trust you as a human being. Um, it's you go to a banker, like you go to a doctor and you, right. and because you have to, you have to be so transparent with your banker that you, that you need a mutual trust so um i realized that if they wanted to make a difference between their competition um, a private bank should have you know different services and to increase their portfolio of uh, service and this is how i proposed to schroeder to create an art advisory department within the bank which was not going to buy we didn't buy art the the bank never bought art it was really an advisory service to the clients or to grab new clients in, you know, to attract them. And it in fact, became a magnet for new clients. And it was a magnet for even Japanese clients, which was what every Western bank was dreaming to have Japanese bankers, uh, uh, clients. So I did that for five years. And then I was hired by, um, through a headhunter to, take over, a, a very old art fund, which was called Artemis. Um, um and, um, which was a, a good experience. Um, probably not the best experience I had because, um, I was dealing at that time with, uh, pure financial people who didn't really know what they, they did inherit there because it's, um, they bought the bank and the fund, which used to be done by, a, by, um, Leon Lambert at the time, and when he passed away, it was bought, and the new owners, in fact, didn't really understand what was this art fund, so it didn't turn out really well.
1: Okay. Okay. And
2: then I became, um, I decided to be on my own, um, a private dealer, but focusing only on on four clients, right? And buying what you know they all had their wish list, and focusing on the wish list, and trying to get out of the market, so not proposing them you know, what everybody was probably proposing them. But more um, saying, okay, you have this art art that you wish to acquire. I might know somebody who has it in his living room. Mm. Let's see if he could agree for, you know, to sell it. Right. I have to say that most of the time it worked. So yeah, I was yeah. lucky <laughs> and that, so I could convince them to sell it. And then at the end of the 90s, um, I had a kind of... Um, Switch in my mind. <laughs>
1: yes. Yeah, it was a brilliant one. Ice storm.
2: <laughs> Ice storm was um was a wonderful adventure that I did with um uh, two friends, and um, it was this idea that um, how could we um, use internet as a platform for art? Because mm. you have to realize in ninety seven when we came up with this idea, um, there was not one museum. Not one gallery, not one artist, there is nothing about art on the web. And we, to make you a long story short, we came up with the idea that we would like to build up a platform um, which would not compete with what you can see and not become an e commerce, so to say, you know, a kind of the arm of a retail store, so to say, whatever, it's a gallery or whatever. But we didn't want to be just the e-commerce of of a retail store. So we came up with the idea that we were going to approach artists, that they give us a digital file, you know, which would which would then print out on the photography paper. So like that, it's high quality, but everything would cost two hundred dollars and they would basically be on demand. So Mm -hmm. funny enough, nobody does that. Um, But it was the idea of creating an on-demand platform where um, we would produce the works uh, not in advance because we were not having a limited edition, you know. That's
0: right. But
2: really on demand that every week we would know that we would have to print 200 of this or 100 of that. And this is how we would do it. And That's that has been tremendously successful, really successful.
1: And the site still exists, I see.
2: The site, the site still exists. It has been bought, I think, three times in the meantime. So <laughs> it did change. Um, yeah. But funny enough, there is a lot of things that I brought in which still exist.
1: Wow, brilliant.
2: Um, so it's still there.
1: And uh, um, Damien Hurst was one of the first artists you work with.
2: He was one of the first. There was many, many because we had Damien Hurst, we had Jeff Koons, we had Elmut Newton. You know, we really had big names. That's
1: great.
2: We were very lucky because we were in the internet bubble. Hmm. And so we had all the millions we were dreaming to have right. for marketing. We realized that we were selling only in London and New York. Only in London and New York knew who were Jeff Koons and Damien Hurst, for example. Yeah, that's right. Outside of these cities where you don't have, you know, the hip galleries and you pass in front and you hear about them in their local newspapers or whatever. I realize that you, if you take the music industry, for example, as an example, um, you do not sell, if, even if you're very famous, you know, Madonna or Daniel Baron Boehm, you do not sell if you haven't been broadcast. So you need these broadcasting platforms to make you, to make yourself out there. And they're very useful also for second thing, is that they make you get used to listen to to their new uh, type of music. And that's what is proper to an artist is that the artist tries to pull you, you know, towards you as know the they're artist, already ahead. As the artist of somewhere else. We'll so see. I realized that is exactly what was missing in the art community. We didn't have a place where this repetition, you know, works, where you can get used to look at something over and over again mm. and, and just accept it. This is where I thought, okay, we need to, to do the radio. We need to create a, a streaming platform where we can bring art to people. Mm. And this is how came the idea of Icono TV. IconoTV. Um,
1: that launched in 2005?
2: I started the idea between 2005-2006. It took time to find out how we were going to do it.
0: Sure.
2: If I want to do TV, we're still t- talking about satellites. Yeah. We're still talking about traditional cable system, you know, whatever. So I wanted to come up with a something new which has never been done and which would fulfill this, um, this thing where I'm bringing you art at home and I would just want you to enjoy it. Yeah. Which means that I didn't want to bring you the knowledge. I wanted to bring you the experience. Right. At least at the beginning.
1: Appeal to I the emotional part.
2: I wanted to touch your emotions, nothing else. And we know that we have two brains. We yeah. have the emotional brain, we have the intellectual brain. And we know that as soon I add words on an emotional film, That's right. I over, Words take over and it kills a little bit the emotions. This is why we came up with this idea that we took from another music um, example it was MTV. <laughs>
1: MTV, right. <laughs> and
2: MTV um, was, you know, for me an a revelation. And so I decided to, to basically copy this model and to say to have art historians, curators, artists, people who know about the work of art, teaming up with filmmakers telling the story to the filmmaker and asking the filmmaker to basically translate their words with the movement of the camera yeah so instead of hearing you know the art historian saying you should zoom in the main character look at what is behind his ears you know there is a landscape or there is this house and you zoom in you know when you do that it's the camera doing the job
1: that's right, yeah. And you've described it as uh, making it a living painting.
2: At the end, the painting is slow um, because you need time to look at a work of art. Yeah. You just can't go through the work of art like this. You need to take the time. And because we tell a story, which is a visual story, mm. but we still tell a story, we want you to get it, You know, to understand that if you dive into the work with us, you will understand the the story but it touches you because it reminds you something which is for me what art is about. It's the collection. You Mm -hmm. you collect all these different emotions which makes you understand who you are at the end. No, this is so what I like about art Oh,
1: that's so well said um, you've had some excellent distribution opportunities um, satellite TV in uh, the MENA region Middle East North Africa
2: yeah I started in Europe with um, um, a satellite Astra and then uh, we did that for eight nine months and then um, and because we produce from day one in in full HD mm. That was our big luck. I was not expecting that because I did full HD for museums to see that our work was high quality and that they couldn't say anything about the quality of our films, which did work because I never heard a museum saying I don't like your films, Hmm. Um, but funny enough, which what I was not expecting is that the technology for HD, meaning satellites, um uh, any cable or whatever they were ready to broadcast in hd but in 2006 when hd really started worldwide it was only for sport right so they were desperate for content and when they discovered what we were doing of course you know showing the hd technology you know your new hd screen with the hd content that was you know, using art is the best example to yeah. show the beauty of your, your screen.
0: Absolutely. And,
2: um, and this is how we had uh, wonderful deals with satellites and, and, and different um, TV distributors. And so that was great. And it's only in 2013, I think that I was finally able to have the stream online on mm-hmm. the web without crashing all the time. Yes, you know, right. that we forget that, you know, that, <laughs> you were always reloading. There was a time okay. we were always reloading yeah. because it was going only five minutes at the time That's or right. 10 minutes yeah. at the time. And so it's only in 2013 that finally it was not crashing anymore, that we could have a web uh, stream. And then um, about 2015, 16, started to do all the smart apps. So for smart mm-hmm. devices like, right. you know, like the iPhone and the iPad. Um, but also for Apple TV and and then for Amazon Fire TV and all the TVs, you know, yeah. the, all the smart TVs from Samsung to Sony to Philips to name them. We basically did all the main brands. There's about 16, 16 different apps or whatever. Oh, so um, because we have international rights, so yeah. we can broadcast everywhere and so we can touch all these screens. That's great. And so.
1: And you've had a role with uh, Samsung, their art, art store, the, the frame.
2: Yeah, Samsung approached me because when they launched the frame, which is a very particular TV set, which is very simple because it looks like a picture frame. It looks like mm. a photography frame. It's just a screen and you have a wooden, very straightforward frame, exactly like when you go and buy you know, a photography frame um and so they came up with this idea that if they would have such a nice design frame they would have included in that frame only in that in that uh, tv screen only an art store and the art store would have as a collection different types of art so they started at the beginning to have i would say more design you know Mm -hmm. young designers coming up with kind of more decorative um, yeah. designs and then they approached me to 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 partnership with very big brands of museums so i brought them you know the berlin museums as i'm here i brought them the the Offizie, the tate you know mm-hmm. all these big the hermitage so we 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 did all these museums where i selected the Highlights the not necessarily the most famous, but the one who could also fit the screen yeah. in a nice way. You know, we it, you know I had to sometimes do compromise and not necessarily looking for the most famous, mm. but the most beautiful for a screen. Right. Uh, this art store is only stills. Still trying to convince them to put some films.
1: Elizabeth, you see, the future is uh, through smart apps, through uh, smart TV, smartphones, this kind of distribution model.
2: But well, Not only, but it's certainly a very serious one to be taken, you know, um, really seriously, I mean, um, yeah. uh, with the, the COVID-19, um, it did show to all the museums that we do have, they can play with us, you know, they really now understand that we can be useful. Yeah. Yeah. um and we had our, our indeed we had our, our you know the, the downloads of our apps which did increase during this time people discovered us like this um and um which and and even now it's it's even easier for me now because we're looking for partners we're looking for investors you know it's easier for me to even talk to them because now streaming art That's right. it makes totally sense for mm-hmm. them you know mm-hmm. it, it suddenly it becomes obvious
1: yeah that's, so right.
2: that's the nice part uh, so
1: well and, and you had a great metaphor from again from the music industry where the advent of recordings uh, albums or, or CDs that didn't uh, deter people from going to live performances
2: never never it will never do because it's two different experience you know when you're watching our films when I You know, we had a journalist one day who did use a lovely um, sentence to describe icono saying, basically, you take our eyes by the hand. So we take your eyes by the hand and we dive into a work. It's nothing to do with when you go into a space and that you experience all the impact of all these different works on you. It's completely different than just showing you a film on a screen. So. I never, never, never had the idea that it would replace. For me, it was uh, a space where we could encourage people to get um, at ease, you know, that mm-hmm. they, will, they would have the courage to go to museums afterwards because they would feel maybe capable to look at a work of art because they understand that there are some ways you could look at it.
1: Have you thought of other modalities like virtual reality?
2: I happen to have a son who um, has been building a fantastic platform called Iconospace. Wonderful. And Iconospace is a platform which was dedicated at the beginning only with VR, but serious VR, meaning with the Oculus, you know, um, glasses where you you have to put them to experience the the space. He did, um, if you go on his website, you can see a wonderful... um, um, a video or teaser of, um, of uh, his latest big project, where he did um, recreate the house and um, studio of Max Liebermann, which was a very famous mm. impressionist artist in, in Germany in the twenties. Yeah. Um, and but his house was demolished during the war, Ugh. and so the house was rebuilt in the nineties. It's still called they still call it the Liebermann House, even though it's not the Liebermann House, because it's happens to be the house which is s- glued to the Brandenburg. gate. Brandenburg, oh yeah, this is a so when, Brandenburger Tour. Exactly. So when you when you go to the on the Pariser Platz and you are a tourist there, um, we came up with the idea that we could maybe explain to people why this house is called the Liebermann House. And that they could have a VR experience in the Stiftung, in the foundation, um, experiencing how this house looked like um, in the times of Lieberman. And it's a wonderful um, experience. And he had quite a lot of success with this this experience. And because of the COVID-19, had tons of galleries asking him to reproduce what he did in VR, but for the web. And he's launching that in a couple of weeks now.
1: I also like how you've described Econo TV as um, uh, an iTunes or a Google Apps. It's uh, because you're working with any producers of content.
2: Yeah, the thing is that we are um, we've been opening up our library mm. drastically because um, at the very beginning we wanted to find ways to touch you. But then we thought, okay, now people are going to slowly get, you know, more, you know, used to it. And maybe they're going to start to be curious and then they would like to learn about and everything. So we started to put some small interviews that you can find online or whatever. We had to be in partnership with all the production houses because when you do TV, you can't just embed, that's the problem. So you, you, you still need to do a contract with everybody and get their files and then slowly we've been now knocking at the door of production houses um, who were um, more producing um, uh, films for the movie theaters yeah so you know documentary about richter or you know uh, entertainment films you know we we even would like to knock at the door of people who did the da vinci code for example Because yeah. they could, uh, it's all about, it's all happening in the Louvre, you know, it has an art, completely art-related, uh, you know, topic, but it's pure entertainment, but it's art-related. So why not bringing basically everything which is about art or with art um, in a movie form and making, yeah, making Icono becoming the the Netflix for art, basically, yeah, the... Really. the, the so yes, I had, uh, I had lately some friends who needed to understand what was the difference between some platforms that you find on the web, which do have video art, for example, but only contemporary video artists, um, and us. And I was just saying that all these platforms, they could be on us also, mm. you know, and we become a hub, uh, and a kind of aggregator
1: yeah. where
2: we can basically, we're totally open to everybody. And it makes you as a viewer your life easier because you find everything in on one address.
0: Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely. Because and
2: today, uh, you know, with the pandemic, if you didn't have, if you don't know where to look and you didn't have journalists saying, Hey guys, as you're stuck at home, here are the virtual, you know, right. experience that you can do. And you were having this list done by journalists listing you all the good websites. If you didn't have that, this tough luck you don't find anything you know you you it's really difficult and you still need to search that's the difference between internet and smart tv apps In smart mm-hmm. tv apps people find us by chance right they can't find us by chance on on google because you still need to make to you know to write a keyword
1: that's right yeah well, that makes sense yeah Right. Oh, yeah. um, there's been a lot of interest um, in Icono TV in public spaces, uh, hospitals, airports. Um,
2: yeah, we recently had that because um, um, more and more people now understand what is the, the impact of art on uh, on your health, mm-hmm. and specifically on your stress when you're very anxious or you have in a very high stress mood which can be before taking a plane, or it can be uh, before, um, you know, seeing your doctor, who maybe he's going to give you results that you're afraid to hear about or whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all these waiting rooms, or even you're just waiting, you know, like in a lobby or, or hotel or all these places are ideal place where today you would, you probably would find a screen with bad news by, famous networks, you know, TV,
1: <laughs>
2: TV um, and that maybe you would prefer to have something calming you down. Yeah. So yeah. yes, we've been having, so we call this icon of hospitality. Yes. And this will become our B2B business. Yeah, okay. where we will be able to provide to these public spaces, specific playlists that we can change remotely, thanks to all the cloud system today.
1: Excellent. That's great. Elizabeth, I thank you so much for your time. This was really Uh, wonderful.
2: Thank you for listening. I hope it was not too long.
1: (laughs) No, not at
0: all. It was brilliant. Achieve is recorded at Subtractive in Hangar 8 at the Santa Monica Airport. Music is produced by Hennedy.